We're going to hear from the Bible now. The Bible reading today is from the book of Job, chapter 28, verses 1 to 28, which is found on page 521 of the Church Bibles. There is a mine for silver and a place where gold is refined. Iron is taken from the earth and copper is smelted from ore. Mortals put an end to the darkness. They search out the farthest recesses for ore in the blackest darkness. Far from human dwellings, they cut a shaft in places untouched by human feet. Far from other people, they dangle and sway. The earth from which food comes is transformed below as by fire. Lapis lazuli comes from its rocks and its dust contains nuggets of gold. No bird of prey knows that hidden path. No falcon's eye has seen it. Proud beasts do not set foot on it and no lion prowls there. People assault the flinty rock with their hands and lay bare the roots of the mountains. They tunnel through the rock, their eyes see all its treasures. They search the sources of the rivers and bring hidden things to light. But where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? No mortal comprehends its worth. It cannot be found in the land of the living. The deep says, it is not in me. The sea says, it is not with me. It cannot be bought with the finest gold nor can its price be weighed out in silver. It cannot be bought with the gold of Ophir, with precious onyx or lapis lazuli. Neither gold nor crystal can compare with it, nor can it be had for jewels of gold. Coral and jasper are not worthy of mention. The price of wisdom is beyond rubies. The topaz of Cush cannot compare with it. It cannot be bought with pure gold. Where then does wisdom come from? Where does understanding dwell? It is hidden from the eyes of every living thing, concealed even from the birds in the sky. Destruction and death say, only a rumour of it has reached our ears. God understands the way to it, and he alone knows where it dwells. For he views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he established the force of the wind, and measured out the waters, when he made a decree for the rain and a path for the thunderstorm, then he looked at wisdom and appraised it. He confirmed it and tested it. And he said to the human race, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to shun evil is understanding. Uh, Good morning, everyone. Great to see you here. I'm meeting up with a bunch of people and reading the Bible one-on-one during the week these days. Really encouraged in the last uh, period when I've been meeting with people how many people are enjoying reading the Bible for themselves, who bought devotional books at the beginning of this year and are using them and uh, really enjoying that. Uh, I just wanted to say how exciting it is to see people uh, digging more deeply into God's Word. It's been a real encouragement. And I hope you are feeling the lasting effects of those encouragements from the beginning of the year. Uh, Let's pray. Uh, Father, uh, when Jesus in the wilderness was offered bread, he turned it down and he took your word instead. 
And so, Father, we pray that we might be like him. You give us bread, and we're very thankful. But we pray for more, that you give us yourself, and you do it through your word, so we listen now. Amen. Uh, that we might listen, I might ask Kerry if you, to, if you could close those doors, it would be good. When it rains, the traffic is like five times louder than normal. Um, parents are the people we spend the first 30 years of our life criticising before we spend the next 30 years of our life unwillingly imitating. That's my observation. Uh, parents are a source of delight and yet despair, of elation and exasperation. And at this point, I just before you all keel over, I'd like to give a shout-out to parents here. Good to see you. I'm one too. Parents, of course, to tilt the scales in the positive direction, are full of wisdom. And if parents could only agree on the advice they want to give us, then we could actually work out what that wisdom is. A member of our congregation um, in a Bible study I go to talked about how she learnt financial um, prudence from her parents. Uh, Her mum said to her, uh, look after your pennies and the pounds will look after themselves. You might have heard that before. And I found myself nodding in agreement. I thought, hmm, that's very wise. And then she said, of course, my, my dad used to say about my mum that she was penny wise but pound foolish. <laughs> Which means she's really good at having a couple of dollars free for a coffee, but when it comes to make the decision about thousands of dollars, she doesn't make the decision. And I've, I heard that. Penny wise, but pound foolish, and I found myself nodding in agreement. And I wondered if I just had this mental image of one of those bulldogs that sits on the dashboard of a car and just kind of nods no matter what way you turn. Do you know the dogs? And I wondered if I looked a bit like that while I was talking to this person. And I realized pretty much any financial advice I ever read or hear or overhear, I find myself nodding to, and I wondered if I just lacked discretion at this point. What is it to be wise? And could wisdom help us both gather pounds and pennies, but perhaps even more importantly, guide us in what to do with them next? But today we turn to wisdom. If you've been here for a few weeks, we've been looking at a series called The Giving God and how to learn generosity from the one in whose image we were made. We've seen he's a creating God, richly fruitful, relational, giving God. He's a provident God who looks after us today and will look after us tomorrow. We can trust him. Who Last week we saw is a just and joyful God who delights in us having joy in his presence and enjoying the goodness that he's given us. And yet is also just and seeks justice both for his work in the world, that we wouldn't beggar the gospel in his world, and justice for the poor. That's what we've seen so far. It's quite a lot, don't you think, in a few weeks? I've found it really rich. Today, we think about the wisdom of God, the wise God. And uh, if you have an outline, you'll see that we're we're kind of travelling across the Bible pretty quickly today. We're going to stop in with Job and see the definition of wisdom. We're going to check in at Proverbs and see the practice of wisdom. And then Jesus and the wisdom of generosity. So Job, Proverbs, Jesus. Just a few things to get through. Uh, I want to suggest that the wisdom of Proverbs in particular can really get some, some of your wheels on the road towards generosity. 
that there's great wisdom in the book of Proverbs that can really get us moving. But when your wheels are on the road towards generosity, you really want to hand the wheel to Jesus. One of my um, favourite moments as a parent is um, teaching my twin daughters to drive. You know how you've got to get up 120 hours? Well, that's 240, right? And I can tell you the first hour was the funnest. And I was teaching one of my twins down by the environment park and I'd taught her just first to change gears. And I know you're not meant to do this, it's bad coaching, but I held the wheel while she just learnt to change wheels, uh, change gears. And when she was getting from first to second to third, okay, I said, okay, it's time, take the wheel. And she grabbed the wheel and she went, ah, Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> now, I'm a believer in Jesus, but I said, get your hands back on that wheel. Um, when you've got your wheels on the road towards generosity, that's great. But you really need Jesus to take the wheel. And we're going to see why. Uh, I hope I've um, spun your wheels a bit and we're ready to move. So let's get into Job and the definition of wisdom. Now I turned to Job and it was a long reading. I hope you enjoyed reading it, Sally. I think it's a beautiful chapter. Thank you for reading it to us. Um, and you're thinking, that was a long chapter. But I'm actually being very kind to you. Because that's a 28-verse definition of wisdom. We're going to spend most of our time in the book of Proverbs, and it has a nine-chapter definition of wisdom. So I want you to say out loud, thank you. Thank you, Jim. I'd I'd settle for you meaning it, but, you know, if I can coach you in it, that's fine. Uh, Okay, so a, a quick introduction to wisdom. What do we see in Job? Well, we see that wisdom is hard to get, and it's valuable above all else. Firstly, it's hard to get. You saw in the poem, people are able to tunnel to the depths of the earth to find riches. They dangle from ropes. They build shafts. They send machines down there. They make tires that dwarf my car to carry the stuff they dig out. But they never dig out wisdom. From the very depths of the earth, they come back with rich things, but they can't find wisdom. We're told that none of the animals know the way to it, so don't ask them. Not even dolphins, who I believe are the deep divers in cosmic wisdom because I grew up on hippie paintings, right? No, not even dolphins. People, we are told, might search the ocean depths or ask great powers like death and destruction where the way to wisdom is, but they just shrug their shoulders and kind of do this, and you don't know. Wisdom is really hard to get at. What is more, everything we gain while we dig around, looking for stuff in the world and not finding wisdom, all our gold, jasper, rubies, all that stuff, are just worth mere pennies next to the pound of wisdom. Wisdom is more valuable, it tells us. The topaz of Kush cannot compare with it. That was a really good topaz, I think. It can't compare with wisdom. Really hard to get, really valuable. That's wisdom. What of God? Verse 23. If you're there, page 522. It's about the only page you'll get to today because I'm going to jump around like a madman. So page 522. God understands the way to it. And he alone knows where it dwells. For he views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he established the force of the wind, when he measured out the waters, when he made a decree for rain and a path for the thunderstorm, then, listen, 
He looked at wisdom and appraised it. He confirmed it and tested it. God knows the way to wisdom. It's a really important idea here that defines wisdom in the Bible. And this is different to wisdom, like, you know, your grandma said. She was wise. Shout out to all the grandmas. It is International Grandma's Day. So praise the grandmas. But this is different. Uh, Wisdom is both from God, but is also outside of God. Do you see that there? That God himself, while he does other stuff, takes a moment to size up and appraise wisdom. Do you know what I mean? He stands at distance. You know, you know how people kind of appraise stuff? They go, hmm, yeah, right. Oh, I get it. It's a bit of a weird thought, isn't it, to think God going, ah, oh, I see. God, you always saw. Oh, actually not. Not until I made everything. And wisdom is God's knowledge of how the big things fit with the small, the kind of solid with the liquid, um, you know, the soft with the hard, the near with the far, the high with the low, everything. He sees how it all fits together. The scientific and the moral, the visible and the invisible. He made it all. And when he made it, He was seeing relations and things and the fitness of things like we'll never get. The Bible describes God at times a bit like a carpenter and it's as he sort of planes out the grain of the world that wisdom is revealed. And and that's a good definition of wisdom, by the way, to understand the grain of things and to live in such a way that you live with the grain and don't get splinters all through your life because you see God the way God has set it up. So as hard as wisdom is to get at, in our world it's actually possible because there is a grain in our world and as difficult as our eyes are to see clearly and as great as God is and hard to understand, actually his world is observable. Both both its mechanics and its morality are in some way get-attable. And if you live in line with them, you'll be wiser. And that's why this poem spends all its time saying, it's so hard to get, it's so worth getting, because it's trying to say, get it, get it. So let's get it. And practically what it looks like can be found in the book of Proverbs. There's a lesson in wisdom in Job, which we won't go into today, but it's basically that almost everyone who speaks in Job, who thinks they're wise, is wrong. And that God's wisdom is greater than ours. That's the book of Job. Book of Proverbs will actually get, make you very, just very helpfully wise on a bunch of little stuff. I don't think it's anywhere near as grand as Job, um, but it's helpful. So the book of Proverbs, as I said, opens with a nine-chapter-long poem about how valuable wisdom is. But the rest of the book, which we're going to kind of dip into, is like a smattering of wise sayings. When I say a smattering, it's as if someone took a bunch of wise stuff from a pot and just like splattered it over the walls and then said, have a look at that bit. Oh, how about that? It's like shotgun pellets. And they've got, sometimes they look like they're going in different directions. But it's actually really great stuff. Hard to read because it's like a little bit here, a little bit there. That's just how it works. For this reason, it's really helpful when people kind of distill that spread of stuff into one place. And Gary Hogue, who wrote a book on financial stewardship, uh, did this. He put all of Proverbs teaching in a couple of sentences. Here it is. He said, handle money with care. It got smaller from the last service. I don't know how that happened. Sorry if you can't see it. He said, handle money with care. 
Extremes of prosperity or poverty may lead to sin. Debt limits and enslaves. Celebrate special occasions by spending money on those you love, but don't forget the poor. Done. All the wisdom in the world. It didn't feel that good, did it? So I might take a bit longer. He's Gary, I'm Jim. Sorry. I'm going to give you three quick jabs, though, right? from the book of Proverbs. Diligence, debt, and moderation. Diligence, debt, and moderation. Here's just a bit of practical wisdom from someone who needs a lot of it, a lot more of it. Diligence matters. Uh, let me read to you. You won't be able to keep up with me. They, they jump all around the place. If you can follow a bullet from a gun, you can try and keep up. So I'm just going to read a few to you, all right? Diligence matters. Proverbs 10 says this. Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. 12.24 says this. If I can turn quickly enough. Diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in forced labour. Proverbs says the lazy do not roast any game, but the diligent feed on the riches of the hunt. It says a sluggard's appetite is never filled, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. And it says, the plans of the diligent lead to profit, as surely as haste leads to poverty. What does all this add up to? I mean, God made the world fruitful. We saw that a few weeks ago. Richly fruitful. But he made us to work fruitfully in it. It's really important. Work really matters. Uh, in Proverbs, we learn to work at fruitfulness diligently. Uh, God doesn't define work as paid or unpaid, career-driven or volunteer, um, you know, in work or retired, employed or unemployed, all of it's work. If you're doing something diligently in order to be fruitful, that's work. Okay, so let's remove our work hang-ups in this joint. But life is about diligence so that you can be fruitful for others. Diligence really matters. God's letting us in on the pattern of the grain, that whatever you're doing, you have to put effort in to reap a harvest. Diligence is required. Now, not overwork, that's folly. Not workaholism, that's silly. Not finding yourself in your work, that's postmodernism. No, just diligence. Of course, diligence is not everything. Let's keep this in perspective. Diligence won't answer your prayers. It won't give you the meaning of life. It cannot save you from hell. No one was ever brought into the kingdom of God by diligence. Let's be clear, okay? It's not the key to life, but it is good. So let me encourage you to live diligently and not wastefully, to practice diligence and not indulgence. To young Christians especially, I'd say, and I'd certainly say to my young self, seize the dignity of work. Let the punk songs about how bad work is rule your life for about six months and then sing them on your way to work for years to come. Uh, I often sing, my favourite lyric in all the world is, it takes a teenage riot to get me out of bed right now. And uh, I now sing it after I've been up for hours and working for hours. Uh, and the band that wrote that song, Sonic Youth, are no longer youth, and they're still working 30 years later really hard. And the band was so diligent that I know its song. And there are a bunch of punk bands who are so lazy that I never heard them. All right? There's a lesson in that, even for the punks. Diligence 
is important because it's part of the grain of God's world. But it's also important because the fruitfulness from diligence allows us to not only feed ourselves but be fruitful for others. And this all comes together in Proverbs in a beautiful picture just right for International Women's Day, the last chapter of Proverbs, when it gathers all of the riches of wisdom and says, let me show you what she's like. She's a wife of noble character. And here is a woman who manages family and work and, you know, she seems to do it. I'm not sure if she exists. It's too, it's too, it's too good. Ah, she does exist and we see her all over the joint, right? Managing so many things with diligence and wisdom and integrity. And it ends right at the end of the chapter. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. God bless her. What a picture. There's diligence. That's a long one. Diligence matters. Secondly, excessive debt limits and enslaves. Excessive debt is terrible. Let's be clear, not all debt is bad. In fact, lending to the poor is celebrated in the, in the Bible. You can look it up in Exodus 22, Leviticus 25, Deuteronomy 15, and three Psalms, and you can ask me for those references if you need encouragement to lend to the poor. Proverbs says this, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they've done. So lending is not bad in the Bible. You know that idea, which is from the Bible, but kind of deeply not from the Bible, neither a lender or a borrower be, picked up by Shakespeare, handed on to your grandparents who handed it on to you. Be careful about that. You've got to put that wisdom in perspective. The Bible also says it's good to lend. But excessive lending, excessive debt is always bad for the lender and worse for the borrower. Proverbs 22 actually puts it the other way around, which freaks me out. It says it's bad for the borrower and worse for the lender. It says this, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. Oh, it's worse for the borrower. I was right the first time. But this is obviously timely as we live in debt Australia. Our country is, of course, one of the world's great excessive debt experiments. Don't feel bad about that. I'm in debt too. It seems that it's almost impossible to live in this economy without debt, so we don't need to be freaked out about debt, but we do need to be wise about it. Let's understand that most people who lend to us don't share our values. So let's be cautious. They expect you to work without worship. They expect you to fret without rest. And they expect you to earn without prayer. So therefore, I'm not giving any financial advice today, right? I know my remit. I, I studied no finance at a Bible college. But I have received financial advice, and I'll just hand on to you what I got from someone else. And you can judge it for yourself. Which is when the lender says you can get this much, you may want to think you can probably handle about 75% of that. I think that's, I'm not saying that's gold advice. I'm just saying at least it stops us from just taking everything they'll give us. And work hard to think what, what keeping the values that I love, the things that are important, rest and generosity to others, can I really handle? Because excessive debt is not living nimbly. You've heard of the debt lender, nimble? Isn't that great? Debt is grinding. Excessive debt binds and enslaves. Thirdly, financial extremes can lead to sin. Here's a proverb that I think is a terrific summary of 
much of what the Bible says about riches and poverty. But I want to be really clear, uh, this is not a catch-all summary for the whole Bible. In fact, uh, in the book of Proverbs, you'll find poor people who are righteous and rich people who are righteous. But what Proverbs does recommend to us is what they used to call the golden mean, the kind of middle path between massive wealth and deep poverty. I don't know how wide that path is, but I'll just read you the proverb. It says this, Two things I ask of you, Lord, do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me, and give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. This is a proverb that Jesus loved. He included it in the Lord's Prayer. And it's such an unusual proverb because it doesn't just give you that little nugget. It gives you the reasons why. That almost never happens in the book of Proverbs. This one really stands out for two reasons. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? I'm the Lord. Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Real wisdom. Remember, there are rich people who are righteous. There are poor people who are righteous. But this encouragement encourages us, of course, to trust God. Extremity can lead to sin. There's a reason why your grandparents counselled you in moderation. It's because they were still affected by the Bible, whether they knew it or not. Diligence, debt, modesty and moderation. Three short, quick jabs from Proverbs, just for a taste of it. I hope there's something in that that's practically helpful to you. The nature of Proverbs actually is they're kind of like they needle you. You go, well, that's not a complete picture. I don't understand that. Well, you don't gain knowledge to be wise. You become wise by living. You put this stuff to work. You test it out. You apply it. And come back in 10 years and we can talk about how wise we are then. But of course we are Christians, so we're not going to stop with Job and we're not going to stop with Proverbs. A life uh, lived in the book of Proverbs may make us rich in godly common sense. I really love the book of Proverbs. In fact, it's my year's quiet times this year, I think. Yep. Well, I'm a month behind already, so yes, I think it will be this year and next year. <laughs> um, I love it. But staying in Proverbs might just make us worldly wise. I've met people who really know Proverbs who are smug in their possessions, presuming that the way they've managed life proves their righteousness. And they're not at all generous or actually even wise. We've all seen a person like this. But what the New Testament does is take the main words for wisdom, Sophia and Logos, and attach them to one obvious place, Jesus. We see wisdom uniquely in him. He teaches wisdom with like edgy paradoxes that will make Proverbs look like neat little puppy dogs. With deep heart challenges, with incredibly clear imperatives that knock you off your feet. He upsets us with the most disturbing wisdom. To the wisdom of Proverbs, as I said earlier, I find myself nodding like a kind of car dashboard bulldog. Yes, yes, very good, very wise, very good. Yes, I agree, I agree. When Jesus speaks about this stuff, I find myself shaking my head and saying, no, that's too extreme. 
So dangerous and unsettling and provocative is the wisdom of Jesus that C.S. Lewis, after spending time with it, wrote this summary. He said, I do not believe one can settle on how much one ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. What a nutter. Doesn't make any sense. We had a uh, student of actuarial studies, actuarial, 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 actuarial studies at the last congregation visiting with us. I said, how do you account for generosity in the corporate world? She said something. What she was saying was not like that. <laughs> Pro bono, she said. A measured percentage. Um, not like that. C.S. Lewis. The guy was a professor at Oxford. He didn't know anything about life, right? Well, I took up a challenge. Gary Hogue said, get the three parables of Jesus on stewardship and write out all the imperatives of what Jesus says. And I did it. And I edited everything else out. And I'll tell you what they are. Why don't you shut your eyes and I'll just read them to you. Here they are. Watch out, Jesus says. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Jesus says, and I fill in a little bit of context, it will be futile and frustrating for whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. He says, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself with God so that when your wealth is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. And he says, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one or love the other or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Stark unsettling. I went back, I looked through the parables. I looked through it to go, does Jesus give us some like, but you know, diligence will help? Does he, does he say, I recommend a settled percentage? Does he say at ordered moments in your life, sit down and reconstruct your finances to see if you can tease a bit more generosity out? No. He's a lunatic. He's utterly mad. And I conclude C.S. Lewis must be right, and I don't I don't know how this works. I think Jesus just lets a bomb go off in your heart and then it works out in a probably messy and unsettled but beautifully generous way. I've seen ordered generosity. I'm not against ordered generosity. In fact, I love it and I'm encouraging it. You'll see in a minute. But I can't, I can't go back on the kind of wisdom Jesus offers, which is like letting a hand grenade go off in your life because he sort of knows our heart. And he knows just how actually self-protective we are and how insecure we are and so we must look after ourselves. And he knows our idols and he knows how deeply we want to cling onto them and not onto him. And so I think C.S. Lewis is right. It sounds crazy. It doesn't even sound wise. When he says, I do not believe one can settle on how much one ought to give, I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. Proverbs may well give you enough wisdom to gather. It'll get your wheels spinning on the road to generosity, no doubt. That's good and wise. I love Proverbs. But Jesus gives us even more wisdom. 
and shows us how to give what we have gathered away with an apparently crazy generosity. I feel embarrassed passing it on to you today. But it is, after all, Jesus' words. A penny for your thoughts now. What are you thinking about? In your bulletin, you'll find a little salmon-coloured, I hope, if the welcome has put it in, do you have a little salmon-coloured sheet in there? We're coming near the end of this series on the generosity of God. And it's probably time for us to do one of those settled, measured thinking exercises. So can I commend this to you? Can I encourage you just to take... I know you have it. Everyone's got it, Peck. Thanks. Um, let's see. Uh, to take one um, uh, minute just to start thinking about what you've learnt in this series uh, and begin to think about whether there's some things that you need to explode out into action Let me give you just a moment and then I'll pray. I'm just teasing you. There's no way you've got the time to do that now. But now you've got just a little start. Take it home. And why not pray about it and think about it? Let me pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, when Jesus was offered bread, he chose your word instead. And you've given us bread and now your word too. You fill us with good things. Feed us, Father. Feed us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.